Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Y'all pray for me. Just pray for me real fast, all right? Because I'm going to kind of address a little bit of what happened this past week and the season that we've been in and, you know, the whole election. I'm not going to do it from the perspective of, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats. I'm not going to do it from the perspective of politics, although I might have to address it a little bit. So just, y'all just go ahead and just give me a little bit of permission (laughs) to maybe vary a, a little bit away from where I would normally go. Because really, ultimately, what I want to talk about is just this idea of the church uniting, transcending what happens in this world, even if some of the divisions that we have are justifiable because of the history of this nation. I get that. I would never want to discount that. But unity in Christ is what is going to heal this nation. It's the only thing that will heal this nation. It's not going to be one or the other side's president, even though it's sad that we think that there's only two sides. You know, that's kind of all part of where I want to go today. So, again, I'm going to, I might pause more than normal because I want to pick my words carefully. And I wanted to wait to do this after the election because I didn't want it to come across as I'm trying to push some type of ideology. I didn't want it to come across as I'm trying to persuade you to vote any particular way. Um, But I do want to address, ultimately, the strategy of the enemy and the strategy of God in the earth. That's the bottom line of where I'm going today. What strategies are we influenced by? Are we even aware of certain strategies that have been infiltrated, that have infiltrated into you know, the economy, into politics, into how nations are developed. I mean, you know, I I don't want to get too grandiose in all of this. It's more about, I just kind of want to, and most of you probably already know some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about. One of the parties tends to lean a little bit toward this side. It'll be pretty obvious when I talk about it, but I'm not trying to demonize a particular party. I want to deal with mindsets. Because where we are as a nation now is split right down the middle ideologically. Is that how you say it? Y'all smart people, help me out. We just are. And both sides, and there's more than two sides, and it's way more complicated than both sides, but fundamentally, both sides have very valid points. But it's like, you could argue those till Jesus comes. But there is a truth that's higher than the stuff that we've been dragged into, and it's the truth that's going to heal us. And again, what I want to address is the the tactics of division that are not just in politics. It's in lots of things that we see in this world system, and and then the tactics that God has. All right? So follow me here, if you would. Um, I want to read you this quote. Again, please, I'm not trying to demonize one party or the other. That's not the goal here. I I just want to show how we can be influenced and how ideas creep into our systems and shape how we think. All right, that's where we're going. So 
Let me read you this quote. Some of you may or may not have heard this quote. This is a quote, um, in, in fact, Dr. Ben Carson, did you guys see when Dr. Ben Carson stood up and he quoted, uh, or he talked about uh, this guy named Saul Alinsky? Saul Alinsky wrote a book called Rules for Radicals. Rules for Radicals was inspired by Alinsky's Marxist socialistic um, influences. And again, I don't want to talk on the level of politics. I want to talk on the level of the influence of what compelled him to say and do some of the things that he said. Alinsky has been noted by, in fact, uh, you know, Clinton, she wrote a, her uh, thesis in college on this guy. So I want to read you this quote from Saul Alinsky. This is a dedication from his book. Um, how many of you have heard the quote already? Okay. Um, again, I'm not trying to demonize Hillary Clinton. She probably does a pretty good job of that on her own. As well does Trump of himself. They do very well of demonizing themselves. But just, just watch this. Lest we forget, this is, this is the dedication of Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. This is, there were three different quotes. This is the third one. This is his own dedication. Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from, all, from uh, let's see, from all our legends, mythology, and history of who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which. He kind of talks like that. The first radical is who he's wanting to acknowledge. The first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. That's scary. You know, here's a guy that wrote a book that a lot of uh, progressive mindset people regard as a positive influence on the way to structure government and organize people, notes the original radical that rebelled against the establishment and won his own kingdom. Now, you can take that into as far of the politics as you want. What I'm addressing here is, do we even realize that there are people that are trying to shape our mindsets that attribute Lucifer as their influence? See, what I'm going to get to is that we as a church have one strategy from Jesus. It started as a commandment that we love one another. We are commanded to love one another. And then as we unite in that love toward one another, we, our, our, house, our house is so healthy that in that love, we turn toward the world and we only have love toward the world will compel the world to believe that God sent Jesus into the world. Unity is the strategy of God. Division is the strategy of the enemy. I mean, really, that's what I want to say in this message today. But I want to kind of pepper some of these ideas in because you have people that not only are running for president but are in all different facets of world leadership that carry the mindset anti-establishment is a good thing but their version of anti-establishment is anti-God. 
It was very, very scary. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Democratic Party is anti-God. That's not the point at all. There's lots of good people in the Democratic Party. You do tend to see more of the progressive mindset that leans in the socialistic direction. And again, I'm not trying to, there's some good ideas in that. I mean, God, I think, ultimately is a communist. His system is perfect, right? He's the head, he takes care of everyone, and everyone is happy in his kingdom. It's, so some of the ideas are good, and the, the ideas of fairness and all that, I understand that, but it's the way it gets shaped. And part of the issue with trying to establish God's way of governing through mankind gets us in places like this. So I don't want to go too much into, this is not a discourse on Alinsky, but he has some quotes in here. Let me just read you, you are with me reading one of these quotes here? I think I put it in my notes. So this, is an, this was an interview that he did, uh, and this, is, this, is his, this was the last part of his answer. He says, let's say if there is an after, they asked him about if there's an afterlife. He said, let's say if there's an afterlife, and I have anything to say about it, I will unreservedly choose to go to hell. And so the interviewer says, why? Now, it's interesting because just listen to what he says because it's almost, you kind of understand what he's saying a little bit, not the go to hell part, but the fairness aspect that he's trying to incorporate in, but it's twisted because he thinks that God is oppressive, ultimately, which I'm going to address that. So this interviewer said, why? He says, hell would be heaven for me. All my life I've been with the have-nots. Now, he, he was a Russian uh, Jewish immigrant. So, you know, I mean, can you imagine the tough life he had growing up? You know, what, what his worldview would have been like and how he would have been shaped by the oppressive governments, what he had seen happen to his people. I mean, you know, you could imagine that that he had no good thing to think about any government structure at all. But the spiritual, the spirit, this is what demons do. They exploit a difficulty that you really are having that's justifiable, and they implant an idea that turns you against God in that difficulty that you're going through. See, anytime we start blaming God for our problems and we start blaming God for the difficulties that we're having, we better be careful. I mean, we see these, these ideologies creep into theology all the time, especially in the ultimate sovereignty perspective that God's in control. It's like we just give God a free pass for making my life hell. Because after all, he's got it all under control. I'm going to preach for a minute. I might make some people uncomfortable. But, you know, let me just finish this, uh, this quote here. So, hell would be heaven for me. All my life I've been with the have-nots. Over here, if you're a have-not, you're short of dough. If you're a have-not in hell, you're short, of, you're short of virtue. Once I get into hell, I'll start organizing the have-nots over there. I mean, it's weird, right? But... You see, his twisted thinking is that these people are hurting. I want to help them, but he's bought the lie that they're hurting because God is oppressive. God's unfairly treated them 
like the government has unfairly treated us. Now, that is true. You look at what the government in this nation has done to the Irish, the First Nations, the Africans that were sold into slavery. I mean, we have a horrific history of people being mistreated and misused. And those are justifiable issues that really have not been healed. And, and I don't think they ever will be healed by government. They will only be healed by the church uniting, rising above what government may or may not do. In fact, the government just needs to get out of the way, Amen. let Christians grow up a little bit, and us unite in our love for one another, not to make excuses for our past. We would never try to do that. It's not about, well, just get over it. I can't say that, just get over it. That's between you and God, how you walk that out, right? Whatever it is that's your heritage. But there's a better way that will heal the division. And the division we are experiencing is by design on some levels. Are you hearing me? Justifiable pasts for us to take the stands that we do. I'm not taking any of that away from anybody, but it's like, do we really want to argue on that level? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to have some of your pasts or what happened in your heritage. I don't know. I can't really speak to that. But I do know what it's like to be a child in the kingdom of God. And I do know what the words of our creator gave us as the method to bring the knowledge of God onto this earth, and that is we love one another to the degree that they watch us and they say, there's something different about them. They must follow Jesus. Y'all seen the free hugs guy on YouTube? This, this young black guy, what, he's like 25 maybe, free hugs. And he will show up in the middle of a Black Lives Matter rally and go start hugging the cops. It's transformative because it just doesn't compute. It's like, no, we should, there should be this and this and this, and don't you know what they did? And it's like, yeah, I get that. I, I feel you on that. But this guy gets it. It's the only thing that's going to bring healing and I'm not just talking about the race issue. I'm talking about the economic difficulties that we have and, you know, the, the nation building and the preemptive wars that we have engaged in. I mean, don't get me started. There's a reason I try not to go into a lot of this stuff. I try to just keep it about Jesus. But again, the point in what, why I wanted to address these things, especially after the election, is because I want us as the church to know our enemy, not the Democrats, not the Republicans, but... The devil, Lucifer. So you have this idea from Lucifer. Did I even finish that quote? They, so ultimately, they said, why them? He said, they're my kind of people. So this guy identifies with people that have been hurt, and he wants to help people that have been hurt. And, and I appreciate that. In fact, there are some things you go and read from this guy, and they're, they're really good ideas of how to help the impoverished. But... The mindset of why those people need to be helped and who can help them and how they can be helped is just undergirded, essentially, by this whole anti-God idea. So there is a brand of, um, gosh, I don't know if it's really religion. It's, it's really more a way of thinking. It's a perverted view of 
the rebellion of Lucifer and the original angels. Um, I'll, let me approach it this way. Luciferians believe, and there are a group of people that, are, that describe themselves as, as Luciferian. They believe that Lucifer only rebelled against God because God was oppressive. God was unjust. God wanted to, you know, keep mankind down. God wanted to, you know, punish mankind with suffering and difficulty and kept knowledge from them. And so Lucifer came in the garden as the serpent to bring mankind knowledge to set them free from this oppressive God. That is what's taught in that idea. And there are a lot of people, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too crazy into the conspiracy stuff, but it's, it's very valid that people believe that way. As evidenced by this guy, this is just one quote. If one guy says it, there's others out there. They tend to, well, I'll just say the word elites, but not all elites, you know. It's interesting how you say these things and people think that you're saying a blanket statement. Again, the goal is we as believers, yeah, we as believers need to understand the strategy of the enemy is division, the strategy of God is unity. Which one are we going to choose? Which one are we going to allow ourselves to be influenced by? Which one are we going to entertain? Which source of information are we going to give our minds and our hearts to? How are we going to deal with legitimate issues that need to be dealt with? So it looks kind of like this, and I'll just say this, and, and um, I know this can be very polarizing, but again, I asked y'all to pray for me, so just let me go. You know, this, uh, and, and, I, and we just had Veterans Day. Praise God for people who have served. Unity among the church, we have to seek to understand. It's, it's like one of the first laws of communication. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Now, I reference the, the veterans because you would never, ever want to take away from them what they have given to this country, what that flag means to them, the personal connection that they have to that flag, to the devotion. But on the other side, and, and, and again, it's, you know, it's weird that we use terminology like that, but you look at the Colin Kaepernick thing. Are you guys familiar with Colin Kaepernick? He's the quarterback of the San Francisco giants. Well, huh? He went through this thing where, and it's still happening. I don't know. We don't have cable right now. We moved. So through this, the last few weeks of this whole election, we haven't even watched TV. So I'm thankful that, praise God, I know. Uh, <clears throat> so he um, essentially, and I might not say it exactly the way to represent him, the way that he, what he meant and everything, but ultimately what, how it trickles down back to us <laughs> He was protesting the national anthem. He wasn't necessarily protesting the nation, per se, from what I read. And I'm like, what is going on? Why, why would someone do that? And so I did started doing some digging. Did anybody do some research into the national anthem and look and see? And I didn't know this. And it's like, these are the areas where we can go in and find information and pick sides. But it's like, OK, yeah, you can do that. Gain an understanding to a perspective for the purpose of finding a way to unite, to, to rise us collectively above the division that we have. Well, and, and I might not say it exactly how it, how it is in there, but 
there is a portion of the um, national anthem that we don't sing, and it was addressing slaves that were fighting for the British because they wanted the British to win because they wanted to be free from slavery. And so the national anthem was written, a portion of it, about those slaves calling them, you know, some pretty horrific things uh, for rebelling against the, the nation at the time. Well, you could understand why a bunch of slaves would want to be set free from a government and fight for the side that's trying to come in, right? I mean, you, I, can under, I didn't know that. And after reading that, I'm like, okay, I don't really know what's in this guy's heart. I don't know what his ultimate solution is, but I, I can see it differently now. But I also have incredible devotion and connection to the flag myself. And, you know, I get goosebumps singing the national anthem, but it does make me think differently now. But I say, okay, well, there's this whole history that I wasn't even aware of, and I don't even, under, I, I don't even know what it's like to have to deal with something like that. You, are you following me? You okay with that? Yeah. It's those kinds of things that when you get a little understanding, you realize, okay, some things I just can't speak to. But I do know our Lord and our God is the path of freedom and the path of healing from all of the stuff that we're experiencing. He is the deliverer. In no way, shape, or form will our nation ever pass a piece of legislation that makes everybody happy enough that we all say, oh, let's be Americans now. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. But we are members in another nation, God's nation. You know, I love the way that it talks about Abraham. He was looking for a city that was not made by hands. You know, there's another phrase about Moses that when they talk about seeing baby Moses, it says that his mother could see the city in his eyes. You know, there's a city that we are a part of. It is God's city, and it is inside of us, and we have to see it in each other's eyes to even have a hope to transcend the division that is on purpose in this nation. So which is it? Are we going to stand on our justifications that have been created by this world? Or are we going to let God move within us and on our own path transcend that division and unite in the kingdom of God as brothers and sisters? Because the world will believe when they see the church do that. Let me just, let me just read you a few passages here. 1 John 4.13. 1 John 4.13. You can put it in the New King James. Uh, Philip, this is the uh, expression of the commandment of Jesus. I'm going to read that as well and then another passage, but it's really the same thing I've been talking about for a couple of months now, but I just, I just wanted to help us to just put this idea out there that, you know, there's, there are strategic plans that we have been influenced by, and we don't even know it. We don't even know it the way the media shapes the way that we think. And it's not even so much that 
the policies, and, and John and I were talking this morning, and he's, you know, way smarter than I am, and, you know, he says things, and I'm like, oh, I might need to change what I think about that, you know, because he knows more of the historical perspective and stats and numbers, and I'm like, oh, well, I, but I know how I feel. <laughs> he probably would say thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, let me just read this. First John 4, 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit. You know, Romans 8 says this very clearly. It says, the way that you know you're in the spirit is if the spirit is in you. You know, you don't have to try to get mystical enough to try to figure out how to go into the spirit dimension. If you have said yes to Jesus, you have received the cleansing power of his blood that's left you holy and given you the state of of righteousness before your God, he takes up residence within you from there forevermore. You are in the Spirit because the Spirit is in you. You don't have to mystically transport somewhere else to find God. No, he's right here in you. You are as much in the Spirit as you ever will be. Now, yeah, you're going to get that glorified body. Praise God for that. Who's looking forward to that? Yes. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glorified body. Hurry up, Jesus. <clears throat> but you're just as much connected to God right now as you ever will be. You're one with him in spirit. The kind, you know, I think the more that we understand how connected we are with God, the more we can begin to understand how connected we are with each other. I mean, the same life source that flows through God, that emanates from God, is in Christ. And if Christ is in you, we all share the same life. We all have the same spirit flowing through us and communicating and leading us and guiding us in one purpose as a living organism on this planet for one purpose, and that is to be children of God, experiencing love among each other, love from Him. You know, and love isn't weak. Love doesn't give people passes. Love does confront. Love does deal with real issues. But it calls to a higher level of responsibility for the purpose of unity. I mean, that's why God gave us church and all the offices of administration. is so that we would encourage each other and lift each other up and build each other up until we come into the knowledge of the maturity of the, or become unto maturity in the knowledge of the Son of God. I mean, the church just has to grow up. Amen? <clears throat> this is how we know that we live in Him and He is in us. He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. We have to see each other this way. I'm talking about something bigger than just an identity message or a feel-good message or a post-traumatic election message. I'm talking about a strategy from the throne of God that we as His children can put into practice to make a difference in this world with. Our governments and our leaders will respond to how we treat each other, to how we begin to operate as believers. 
And it just starts with how we, how we unite. You know, we don't know what it's like to live that way, so we don't know how to get there, but God knows how to get us there. We just have to become willing to let our, our thinking be shaped in that direction. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind, one way or the other. Some of us have been so transformed by the way that the media or the way that our education has renewed our mind to think that we are just experiencing the ideologies and the fruits and the, all of the stuff that, you know, that we think. I wonder how much of our thoughts are actually just from God. I wonder how much of our beliefs are only from God or how mixed in it is with this idea of an oppressive God. 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Just one more. I forgot to mention this thing, but did, did, did you guys uh, see that movie Noah with Russell Crowe? Lift your hand up. I just, I'm just interested. All right. If you put your hand down, those of you that didn't raise your hand, how many of you heard of it? Do you know much about it? Okay. So in this movie, you see the Luciferian mindset of God played out. And I didn't realize that. We went to see it until about halfway through it, and I'm like, this, is, this ain't right. If you haven't seen it, don't bother. In fact, I didn't know this till later, but the guy, the producer that, that made the film said he, was, he sought to make the most unbiblical biblical movie ever. He actually said that. In it, you start to get this perspective that uh, the, the people on this planet are being oppressed by God. You know, God is the establishment. God is the man. God is whatever keeping us down. And there's this idea that these angels, you remember the angels in there that were all rock-covered? So there's the, the picture that's painted is there are angels, but they're like big giant things, and they're all carrying these heavy boulders, and they're covered with like this exoskeleton of rocks, and they're just oppressed. And, and you paint this picture of an angel that came to the earth that tried to help mankind. Sound familiar? that God didn't like it, so he trapped him in oppressive rocks and boulders for helping mankind. Well, who's, who are we talking about? We're talking about Lucifer. We're talking about, even in Hollywood, an attempt to sway our thinking to be to, as God is oppressive, and Lucifer just wanted to help us. And that mean old God oppressed him. It's, it's crazy. You know, we don't, it's like you start thinking about how demonic doctrines have influenced our politics, has influenced our movies, has influenced our music, has influenced really just about every area of culture. I think if the demon chasers realized how much demonic influence there actually really is on this planet, they would lose their minds. But that doesn't, that shouldn't put us in a place where we're afraid or it's like we've got to wear 10 hats now, you know what I mean? Keep away from the devil. It's just that no, just, just release some of the things that 
here's how you do it. You release the areas that define you and build your identity in regard to what has happened in this world and rebuild your identity in agreement with who you are in Christ. That's difficult for some of us because some of us have been uh, you know, abused even by religious systems. Some of us have been abused by parents. Some of us have been horrifically treated by governments. You know, it's hard to let go of that stuff, but we have to renew our minds and rebuild our identity in regard to who we are in Christ, as, and, and we have to see each other that way. I have to look at you and see God in you, not because I'm commanded to, but because I believe that he's in there. You, you're not this thing that I see outwardly. You're not the pain that I see reflected on your face that you're creating all this chaos in your family over. That's not who you really are. If, God, if you've said yes to Christ, God's in there. That's who I need to speak with. That's who I need to connect to. You know when Jesus showed up on the shore and the guy that was trapped in chains and kept breaking the chains and he ran up and Jesus said, who are you? And the guy said, we are legion. You know, that wasn't a doctrine of deliverance where you are to find out the name of the demon that is oppressing this guy so you can cast them out properly and play with them and you know, hit them with a Bible and make them scream. What Jesus was doing was trying to get to the person. He was trying to get that person to tell him what their name was. He wasn't talking to the devil. Are you kidding me? Jesus start entertaining and talking to the devil? No. He was trying to find out, connect with this person. Let me wade through the, the, the illusion. Let me wade through the uh, deception and find the person in there that's who I'm wanting to talk to. And he couldn't do that because the demons were answering, so he got rid of them, and then he dealt with the person. I mean, the deliverance he had to execute on this guy was just clean house so he could actually do what he was trying to do in the first place, get this guy healed. Do you see that? So this is our strategy, being able to see one another in love being able to realize that this is the strategy that God gave us. And this is how I personally put these two passages together. And, and I, think it's, I think it's congruent with the mission at, of the church. So this is uh, John 13, 34. Y'all flip over there or we'll put it up. John 13, 34. These next two scriptures I'm going to read. So after John 13, 34, we're going to go to John 17, 20. Y'all good so far? All right. We're going to read 34 and 35. This is Jesus. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Next verse. By this, all... What does all mean? All. <laughs> By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, keep in mind... They might want to kill you for that. It's not like everybody's going to, it's not like the world's going to look at us as believers and say, oh, look how they're treating each other. Isn't that amazing? The fact that they recognize by our love for one another that we are disciples of Jesus may make them want to kill us. Then this other part kicks in from there. John 17, 20. 
This is John 17. This is Jesus alone, and he's praying for us before he's about to allow himself to get arrested. And what he's praying for, he says, all right, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to take back up the glory that I had with you before I came here. I have finished the work that you've sent me to do. And then he starts praying for us. John 17, 20. Let me see how far we're going to go. Just 20 and 21. Remember, he commands us to love one another, and by our love for one another, the world will know that we're his disciples. So I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. Say one. one. Look around for a minute. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in each one of these people in here. We typically have believers meetings in here. If you've, not ever, if you've never said yes to Jesus, we'll give you an opportunity here in just a minute. But we are one. We've got the same daddy. We've got the same blood running through us. You know, there's just something about family, isn't there? I mean, you might have the nuttiest family member, but you will do anything to help them. And even if you have to set boundaries in place where you can't let them come around your life anymore, you just, you see them and it's like there's just this instant connection. This is my family. This is my brother. This is my sister. There's just that connection, you know. We should have that with all believers. Amen. And I don't want to just preach a should. This is what you should do. You know what I mean? What I want us to walk away with, knowing that this is God's agenda for his church, let's open our hearts and our minds to let him build that within us. Because only he can do that. You know, what if we looked at each other and we didn't see color. We didn't see political bias. We didn't see whatever we see. We just saw the Spirit of God, the connection that we have. The world would pay attention to that. It would make a huge difference in the body of Christ. Doesn't mean you just say, get over the past. That you, we, that's up between you and God, how you, we walk that out. But we're talking about a strategy. The devil's strategy is division. God's strategy is unity. Which one are we going to lend ourselves to? I know which one I want. I need to pray for my Facebook usage because, you know, sometimes I throw things out there and it's like a firestorm. You know, but, but it, it is just part of my call to uh, break the idea within Christians thinking that God is your problem. That God is allowing the sickness and God is crafting the situation so you'll learn and God needs you to suffer to become more holy. Those are all lies against God. Those are all Luciferian doctrines in this earth to cause us to distance ourselves from God, look at God as this confusing, oppressive ogre in the sky so that we will not trust him so that the enemy can have his way on this earth and just continue and continue to slice and slice and slice and divide and divide and divide. You know, it's like some people's devotion to the American flag is greater than devotion to the Spirit of God that we actually have flying over us as our identity. 
I mean, you, you know, it, that, and that's where, you, that's where it gets difficult because there are, you know, we have these things on this earth that mean things to us. But if it's a source of division from our brother and sister in Christ, we got to deal with it because the world is waiting to see a united church. You know, I don't really have time to address the end time aspect of this, but there are some people that basically are like, I don't know what the point is. It's all going to hell anyway. We're just sitting here waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us because we're all so weak and we're not actually going to be able to do anything. You know, like there's just no hope. I mean, if, you, if that's your eschatology, I will pray for you. I don't know exactly how it's all going to end. I don't know exactly what is gonna, how it's going to shake out. But we can't let our end time theology rob our hope. This call to unity remains, regardless of what you think your end time theology is. Amen? Amen? I wish I had another hour to go on that, but we don't. The call is recognize what we are allowing ourselves to be influenced by. Remain true to the things that need to be dealt with on this planet. Remain true to the issues that need healing and however you process those issues. But recognize there are two strategies. One, division is very clearly from the enemy. We see it infiltrated into all different areas. The other is unity among believers as evidence that we are followers of Jesus. And in our unity toward the world, they will believe that God sent Jesus into this world. Amen? Amen. Which one do we want? Father, thank you for these. Uh, I thank you for your spirit that unites believers. I first want to start that and recognize and give you honor and praise as our Father. God, as our creator, as our savior, as our redeemer, as our deliverer, as the one who loves us. Your original intention was to birth a family into this earth because you loved us before we were ever even created. Your desire is to have a family. Your desire is to have a bunch of kids that just love each other and experience goodness, your goodness and mercy on this planet. But Father, because you gave us free will, there are all kinds of horrific injustices that have happened on this earth. And we don't, we don't just turn our, a, a deaf ear to that. We don't just turn a blind eye to that. But in those, may we seek to see you in each person. May we seek to find that family connection among believers. And if they're not believers, we unite with other believers to turn our love toward them. I truly, truly deeply believe that you gave us an effective strategy of unity within your body toward the world to be a testimony that you sent Jesus into this earth. I don't think it's just a good idea. I don't think it's just an empty scripture that was spoken. I think it is your heart. God, we recognize the tool of the enemy. We recognize that division is the tool of the enemy. And we recognize that your strategy is unity within your family. I want unity. I personally am yielding my mind and my heart to be shaped by you, to, to have conversations on the level of your influence, to not let worldly carnal divisions shape how I see people. God, I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in my heart. 
I want to only live in such a way where you are glorified, where people see you. And we speak to this nation in, in whatever party is in influence, God. It, it's not about the right party being an influence because legislation cannot change the hearts of people. So we give you glory that as this new administration is being built, that you are leading them to build a team of people that will basically protect the role of, that will keep government out of the way and protect our inalienable rights. God, thank you that your freedoms are valued as this process. Your principles are valued and considered as our new administration begins to build this team. But government is not the solution. Your body in this nation is. So I speak over this nation. I just speak healing and peace. God, I speak maturity within believers. And I thank you. I come into agreement with your spirit that you desire. You've given us the church. You've given us apostles and pastors and preachers and teachers and evangelists. You've given us those things to remind us of who we are in you. God, I thank you that you are rising up voices of unity that represent your grace and that represent your love within this nation, that put a call to the body to not stand for nationalism, but stand for kingdomism. God, your kingdom, may it be what we have a goal to protect. Not that we just want to let the fabric of this country go. God, we value that as well. But there's a bigger picture, and it is your city within the hearts of your people. I thank you that your kingdom is increasing in us and into this world. We just want to represent you well, God. We want to walk as agents and ambassadors of your kingdom, carrying this gospel, setting people free from the religious mindset that you are oppressive and that you are angry at the world. God, we want people to understand the sacrifice of Jesus, the exchange that took place, the life exchange that took place so they can experience your love. So many things to be spoken, God, but we just give you our hearts and our minds to be led and taught by you. Amen. Amen.